Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I appreciate that prayer. Uh, the idea of praying for our leaders seems as needful today as it ever is. I suppose it's always needful, but it certainly seems very needful, uh, more so at this time. And, you know, we should be concerned about the leaders of our nation, but we need to also be concerned about the leaders of the kingdom of God, the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God in this world, which is the Lord's New Testament church. And we need to have not only leaders raised up to guide our nation, but we need leaders raised up within the kingdom of God, in the Lord's church. And I think we see the Lord moving in some unique ways in our time. And I think it's something we should continue to pray for. I've mentioned from this pulpit that this is actually one of the prayers that the Lord says you should be praying this. You know, the harvest is plentiful. He's looking out there and that's, that's God's way of saying there's a lot of God's people out there, right? The laborers are few. Imagine if you had some sort of crop, you own some property, you had a crop out there and you said, man, look at this abundant crop. The harvest is plentiful. And then you realize, I don't have anybody to go out there and pick all this stuff and harvest it. You're thinking it's going to die on the vine, so to speak. You're going to lose a lot of your crop as a result of that. I suspect that's why the Lord taught us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up men to do the work of gospel ministry and to serve in the Lord's New Testament church. I suspect that if we were half as oriented around that problem as our hearts tend to get around the political problem, we'd see more improvement in our nation than trying to fix everything from a political angle. The problem with man is not something that you need to apply some external fix to. It's a problem of the heart. And it's the Lord's New Testament church where you come in and hear the Word of God preach, where you start working on heart issues. We do a thing at work, very common in, in the IT world and in people who work around computers. If you have a problem, we generate what is called an RCA. Anybody know what an RCA is? Root cause analysis. In other words, something got messed up at work caused a problem, maybe cost somebody some money or we didn't meet a service level agreement for our client and all those things. We got to get to the bottom of it. And the way you get to the bottom of it is you do a root cause analysis, right? We don't want to apply a Band-Aid to this and try to cover it over. We want to get to the root of the cause so we can fix the issue and not have this issue going forward. A lot of the problems we have in our country, if you were to look at the root cause analysis report, you're going to trace them down to a spiritual malaise in this country. It's a spiritual problem more than a political problem. I want us to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 today. And the topic I want to set before you is the days of thy youth. This is a phrase that's used by the preacher in Ecclesiastes. And I want to start by asking you a question. What is the value of knowing the future? You ever thought about that? There's a lot of movies that are kind of based on this idea. Some person has some ability to see the future and, and they're able to do things. And the, the whole story revolves around, wow, what would you do if you, if you knew what the future was going to be? How would it change your behavior? Uh, it's a pretty intriguing idea. If you knew what the stock market was going to do tomorrow, 
for example, a week from now, six months from now, if you knew the future, it would not be difficult to become a millionaire. You could take a meager amount of money and with a knowledge of what the stock market is absolutely going to do, you could invest it in such a way so that you would be tremendously wealthy in no time at all. If you're on the football field and you know the future in terms of what's the opposing team's next play, you could use that information to your advantage toward a victory in that event, could you not? I mean, there's a lot of value in knowing the future and people tend to get pretty oriented around it. You know, people pay false prophets a lot of money to tell them in a religious context, well, we've looked at Revelation and we're going to tell you how all this is going to play out. We understand how this maps to every particular geopolitical situation in the world today. And we're going to explain it all to you. People love that. They'll go and pay lots of money and and buy tickets to these prophecy conferences and things like that because they love the idea that someone's going to tell them the future. It's like an esoteric knowledge that they want to have and they think would be profitable to them. I have not found that people who are preaching that sort of thing, however, ever have much of a grasp on what those things actually mean, what the Bible's prophecies mean in those things. But there's a lot of money to be made in it because people are interested in it. The history of Christianity is littered, absolutely littered, with people who created a big ministry based on, I'm going to tell you what's about to happen, based on interpreting some very difficult passages in the Bible and what they tell us about the future. It's a money-making deal, but time plays out, and the Lord says, no man knoweth the hour, right? Well, if you just knew that simple scripture, you would eliminate a huge portion of a lot of this type of so-called ministry in the world. And God's people who are in His kingdom should have heard those things. They should know it. And they should thus be inoculated from that sort of nonsense when people are out there telling you, I know all the dates and when all this stuff is going to happen. The value of knowing the future is not hard to sustain. People just accept it. A huge portion of what you find just on the news channels and things like that is prognostication. We're going to bring this expert on and they're going to tell us what's going to happen in the election. They're going to tell us what's going to happen in Europe. They're going to tell us what's going to happen with gas prices. I mean, it's incredibly fascinating to people. They love this idea of somebody knows the future and maybe I could get a line on what the future is. Very intriguing. So my second question, I think I've kind of already answered it. Would you like to know? Well, I think people would like to know. There's always fear and uncertainty in not knowing what lies ahead. And that's maybe part of why people want to know the future. I remember back in 2002, the Interstate 40 bridge out in Oklahoma over the Arkansas River collapsed. A boat ran into it, right? A cargo ship ran into it and knocked the piers out from under it and it just collapsed. And I think about 14 people died. They just, people were driving off that bridge into the abyss, you know, horrible situation. I remember when that happened, I thought, man, those people did not know what what was lying ahead for them, did they? If they had, they would have certainly stopped. And it took a while for them to get people up there and say, you know, tell people to stop. But it was a tragic thing. A similar thing happened back in 1989 in Millington, Tennessee. There was a bridge that washed out heading north out of Memphis. Uh, rain swollen river and it was raining and and the bridge collapsed and just person after person drove off into this abyss they didn't know what was ahead right so you can see that knowing what's out in front of you 
uh, in the future could be tremendously profitable. And you know that there's potentially tragic things that are out there in the future. And that could be very distressing. That would be why uh, we would think along the lines of wanting to know the future. And also around that time, there was the uh, I was living in Memphis at the time, and there was a lot of talk about the New Madrid fault. And there was a lot of prognostication. That thing is bigger than it's a huge fault. And man, when that thing uh, went off 150 years ago, the Mississippi River went backwards. Well, that's a pretty major earthquake. Uh, Real Foot Lake in Tennessee was formed by that event. So there's a major fault line there. And living in Memphis, there was a lot of discussion about, I think this thing might go off again. And they were going to all the bridges. You can still see them in Memphis. You look at those bridges and they've got chains on them. The sections of the bridge are chained together. And the idea is that if it gives way, maybe somehow that's going to help it hold together and not collapse and hurt as many people. Not sure that chain's going to hold that bridge. But at any rate, I can remember driving to Memphis and driving across that bridge. And before I'd go across that big M bridge, you know, heading into Memphis, I would be praying to the Lord, Lord, if that thing's going to give way, just <laughs> Can we hold off for about five minutes here before to let me get across? Because I don't want that to happen. So there's a lot of potentially tragic things that are out there in the future. And that probably underscores why people would want to know things about the future. But have you considered that the Bible tells you about the future? Now, I'm not talking about the future in terms of all the end times things. I'm not going to go into some sermon that's going to explain to you how all this stuff works out and what all these passages mean that talk about the end times. But there's maybe a more immediately pressing matter of understanding things about the future and understanding how that relates to you in the present if we'll just press into that a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is where I want to pick up. Verse 1, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. That's telling you something about the future for a natural man living in this world. There is what is referred to here as the days of thy youth. It is not hard to figure out. Any of us could pull out family albums and show pictures of ourselves 30 years ago, and we all look younger and healthier, and we got a lot more vim and vigor and vitality back then, and we know that we decline over the course of our years. And there's a specific parcel of energy and capacity that you have in your youth. And the Bible here is encouraging people to serve God in your youth. Now, we serve any number of things in our lives. You think about all the things that we could pour ourselves into, and the list is endless. It goes from, well, it's deer hunting, right? It's a lot of pouring into that. There's sports. There's playing musical instruments. There's becoming educated. There's training to become a doctor. There's training to uh, become an engineer. There's all these different things that you can pour your time and energy into, and I suppose to some degree, God has given us talents and we need to pour those into things. We are to be good stewards of the talents that God has given us and we have to provide for ourselves and for our families. So it is only natural that we must pursue some of those things. But the preacher in Ecclesiastes is telling you something here that you ought to pour your energy into in your youth. Now I want to deal with one objection that I think comes up in the minds of some. 
And that is, some may say, well, I'm not a youth anymore. So this does not apply to me. Well, there may be some respect in which that's true. I can say, maybe it'll make you more comfortable as you look over your own life. I can say that I am someone who squandered great parcels of my youth in other activities not serving the kingdom of God. And it was to my detriment. Now, I could stand up here and look at my life and try to justify all the reasons why I did that, why it was that way. I'm just going to own it, right? I'm just going to own it. I can't fight it. This is what the Word of God says. You ought to do this, and I did not do as I ought, okay? That's just how it is. Can't fix it. It's water under the bridge. I might say, well, I'm not a youth anymore. This doesn't apply to me. I'm not a youth. Well, let me tell you this. Every single one of us, you're as young as you're ever going to be right now. Oh, that's water under the bridge. Today is the youngest day of the rest of your life. Okay? So don't try to parcel this off and say, well, young, that must be people who are, you know, they're not old enough to vote yet. Maybe that's the cutoff. You come up with these ways to define it. But I want us to think of it more broadly. Think of it more as an urgent plea to you in the youth that you have right now to serve the Lord. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. We remember all kinds of things. We remember the Razorback football schedule. That's practically a matter of religious orthodoxy in this state. We remember those things. We remember all the stuff we want to do. And all too often, we set spiritual matters in repose and we say that'll take the back seat we're not giving the first fruits we're giving the last fruits and the preacher here is saying remember thy creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say i have no pleasure in them as you get older things become more difficult that energy you once had as a youth begins to wane And you start running into difficulties. Now, it's not just, I'm young and energetic and I can serve the Lord. I can go to church and serve in the kingdom of God and try to be a service to God's people. As those years creep on, some portion of your energy is going to be taken up just trying to get up the gumption to be able to get to church. And trying to overcome the aches and pains and issues that you have with a declining body that would keep you from serving in the kingdom of God. I can tell you that there were times in my youth where I had almost superhuman energy. I can't believe it now. I really can't. It is so difficult sometimes. I mean, I'll get a perfectly good night's sleep and I'll get up and I am like the tin man. You know, I think Catherine needs one of those little bottles of oil. Come work on, you know, work this out and that out. I mean, I can just tell, and I can see from your faces, that's not an uncommon occurrence among God's people. But each of these things makes it more difficult. It means that some portion of whatever energy you have today, where before when you were just shiny and bright, everything's working great, you know, you could put maybe 100% of your energy into whatever you were going after. You could pour yourself into serving in the kingdom of God. But as you get older, you're going to have to take a slice of that some portion of that pie, and you're going to have to apply it to i got to take care of myself a little more. i got to make sure that I can stay healthy enough to be in the kingdom of God. 
and be serving there. And that slice that you're able then to serve the Lord with tends to kind of become less and less because you just don't have as much energy. This is part of why the Lord is saying, serve God in your youth. It's incredibly important. We should encourage everyone to be serving in the kingdom of God, all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and do it now. Don't do it later. Do it now. I can remember years ago, my dad and my brother used to go fishing a lot, and uh, they'd go to different places and fish. And I can remember my brother and my dad sometimes, well, maybe I'll go next year. And my brother would say to him, you better go this year. I mean, you don't know if you're going to be well enough to go next year. Today is as good as it's going to be for you in all likelihood. So you need, if you're going to do something like that and you want to do it, you better do it now. I mean, we think that way. It's very easy to think that way about kind of the recreational things that we get involved with, right? But do we think that way about the kingdom of God? We all too often think of it as a little bit of an afterthought. And that's problematic. We should really be spinning that around as the preacher is suggesting here. He says that there's going to be some years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Well, that's a little bit of a window into the future, is it not? People want to know the future. This one's not going to be one that's going to help you make a savvy investment in the stock market. It's not that kind of future vision. But it is a future vision that can help you make an investment in the kingdom of God in the here and now. Because you have the maximum to put into it that you're probably ever going to have henceforth. When I go to uh, work, they have these uh, seminars sometimes that kind of teach you about, you know, you've got a 401k. You're going to have to plan for your retirement. You can go to the seminar and they'll tell you some tips about saving money and how you ought to think about your future and all those sorts of things. And one of the principles that comes out of that, uh, which is a little bit counterintuitive, is that the earliest dollar you put in is the dollar you make the most money on. You know what I mean? You need to start early. And then you get the longest time for money to build up interest, right? And you may think, well, but when I start early, I'm, I'm at the beginning of my career. I'm not really making that much money. So I'm, I've got kids and I'm trying to pay bills and all this stuff. I could use that money now because I've got too many bills and I'm not making enough money. But the truth is, if you can make that investment early, it pays huge dividends on the backside. You see, when you're a year from retirement, and maybe you're making a lot of money, you might be able to pack the bank, right? But you're not going to have any time for that money to do any work for you, and you're going to have basically what you put in there at that point. But if you put a fractional portion of that in at the beginning, and then it gains interest for 30 years, all of a sudden, that's the part, that's the money that did the most work for you, so to speak, right? We know that in the carnal things of our lives. There's very few people who would dispute that if you're just talking about the management of a 401k. Everybody would say that is a clearly known principle. It's a principle of compound interest. It's very straightforward. No one would combat it. And yet, do we think that way about the kingdom of God? Do we have an idea that the kingdom of God is something I'm going to get to the latter years when I'm 10 years from retirement and start packing my spiritual 401k? I'll serve the Lord in my later years. Because that's what the old people do anyway. They get spiritual and they, they don't have anything else to do, so they just go to church. Well, 
That's not what the preacher's suggesting here. He's suggesting that you should remember the Creator in the days of your youth. And there's some evil days coming. It gets more difficult as you go. And gives us a little bit of an insight into the future here. We'll look at this. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease, because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. There's a lot of symbolic language there. But here's what it's saying. Keepers of the house shall tremble as your central nervous system begins to shut down on you as you get older. Trembly, right? You can't kind of hold yourself steady anymore. It becomes problematic. These sorts of things start making it so that you cannot do some of the things that you had previously done. Strong men shall bow themselves and grinders cease because they are few. Well, there's a little glimpse into the future. It's not, not necessarily a picture you want to see. Sometimes when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I just try to stand up completely straight because the natural shape of my body apparently now is that of a capital C. (laughs) And I just have to straighten up because the Bible is relentlessly true. It's just relentlessly true. It's I feel the truth of the word of God in my back. When I get up in the morning, I could deny it if I wanted to, but I'd be a fool to do so. It's inevitable. And the grinders cease. Your teeth are going to fall out. You haven't thought about that one yet, maybe. Some of you have been there and done that. That's the way it goes. The body is going to, uh, to fail you. The grinders cease because they are few. That's not like, well, I lost a tooth. I lost a tooth a while back, you know, 10 years ago or so. Not that big a deal. Way back at the back, it was actually a a wisdom tooth. Came out when I was eating one day. And I was like, okay, well, I don't use that tooth much anyway. Fortunately, I still have a few. But this says that they're going to cease because there's a point at which you're going to have so few teeth, it's going to make it hard for you to eat. That is the way of nature. In a sin-cursed world, our bodies are going to fail us. Verse 4, The doors shall be shut in the streets, and when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. You're going to lose your hearing. I've developed a bad habit. I have terrible hearing. I've lost a lot of hearing based on the foolishness of my youth. And uh, my family was reminding me this uh, just this week that they will start saying something to me and they'll get about halfway through whatever they're saying and I'll come back with, huh? Huh? And and they're like, that's not a good look, Dad. Just, you need to work on that. Come up with some other way to respond, uh, I don't know. It's a natural response. I can't hear what I'm saying. I guess I'm going to get one of those uh, ear horns that they used to have. I probably need hearing aids. But your hearing's going to go. And um, it's going to make it hard to listen to the Word of God, is it not? 
I mean, one of the reasons we have a public address system here, I'm a fairly loud speaker, but you get older, it's hard to understand what people are saying. And the farther away you are, if your vision's going as well, you can't, you don't even get the visual cues of how my mouth is moving to help you kind of piece it all together. You know what? When you're young, your hearing is really good. And all too often, people think, well, young people, they're all about young stuff. They're not really paying attention. They're not listening. Their hearing's better than ours. And they are more spiritually minded than you think they are. They pick up more than you think they do. And I think that's part of why the Lord said, suffer the little children to come unto me, because He knows some of those children are of the kingdom of God, and they can profit from these things. Maybe they have to hear them multiple times, but if they're in the Lord's house, they're going to hear what they need to hear. So you're going to lose your hearing. There's some more of that future. I started by saying, well, everybody wants to know the future a little bit. Now I'm telling it to you. You might say, well, I don't know if I want to know that part of it. Maybe I don't want to know the future after all. But there's a benefit in knowing these aspects of human decline. How are they beneficial? They're beneficial in helping you make earlier investments in life. You're going to get the biggest return on the early investments. And, you know, people are pretty intense creatures of habit. If they form good habits and they keep them up, that generally bodes well for them. And if you don't form good habits early, it becomes more difficult as an adult to try to adopt good habits. Well, if you're raised in such a way that the kingdom of God is important, that you're serving the Lord first, and that you realize that there is a parcel of youth that you have that you can invest into these things. And if you're in an environment that encourages you to do so, these are all things that will pay huge dividends in your life. And it's part of why the preacher talks this way to us. Verse 5, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Well, there's a lot there that our world is trying to fight against. People want to fight it. They're going to dye their hair, and, and there's an entire medical industry around the whole issue of desire faileth. Those of you who have sense in the matter know what I'm talking about, and those who don't are not old enough to know. But there's billions of dollars in this world being generated just trying to overcome this simple statement in the Bible, which is inevitable, that desire faileth. It's going to happen. You're seeing the future. The Bible tells you these things, and it tells you these things for your admonition. Know this reality. And part of what it's intended to do is to get you to say, you know what? I can't think about serving in the kingdom of God as something I'm going to do next week. I've got to think about it as I've got the best part of my life, the best parcel of my youth. Whatever remaining parcel of youth I have, I have it right now. And that's what I need to be investing into this matter. I've heard tell of people who wanted to join the church and forestalled it for great periods of time. We've had many in our assemblies who came to church for years and years and they didn't get baptized. And then eventually they got baptized. It was a great blessing to them. And there are people who do that. But I've heard of people who really get to the point where they're pretty much on their deathbed. And then they say, I really 
want to join the church and I'd like to be baptized. And it's not going to be possible. You see, in that example, you've got someone who has squandered the parcel of youth and strength that they had earlier in life, which it would have allowed them to come forward, profess Christ in the waters of baptism, and be received into the church. And they have now reached what you might call the point of no return. And I'm not saying they're going to hell. You understand what I'm saying. These are children of God, but they have squandered the investment of their life. They can't invest it now. It's too late. It's not going to happen. And as a result, they are going to pass into the next world, never having officially joined the Lord's New Testament church and obeyed Christ in water baptism. There's a reason that we should do these things first and do them early and pour our lives and our youths into this because the earliest investment brings the greatest return. There's so many admonitions in the Bible that tell you things like this. And there's kind of two ways generally that people learn. A lot of people talk about experience is the best teacher, but I've said this many times. Experience is often the instructor of a fool. If someone tells you something that's good to do and you take their advice and you do it, you don't have to be taught through bitter experience, right? Right. You teach your children, don't touch the stove, you're going to burn your hand. You teach them that because you know it's horribly painful if they do. Who among us would say, well, just go over there and touch the stove. You'll learn experience is the best teacher. I mean, that would be incredibly cruel to do things that way. Experience can teach us, and it often does. I bear the stripes of experience teaching me over the course of my life in many different ways, but I didn't have to. I didn't have to. I wonder sometimes if I'd poured myself more into the kingdom of God and placed those investments there and learned those lessons early, instead of thinking that such things would not destroy my life or ruin certain portions of it, would I have fared better? Well, I think I would. And I think this is why the preacher is preaching these things. But at this point, those are water under the bridge. I'm a preacher now. I'm trying to serve in the kingdom of God. I hope to be doing so till the day I die. And whatever parcel of youth I have at this portion, I want to invest it in the kingdom of God. And I want to think about that as the most important investment of my life instead of all the other things that might distract me. Well, I spent more time on that than I wanted to, but I do want to point this out. I'm trying to speak about the days of thy youth, and I've stretched that into uh, beyond just what we would conventionally think of as youth. But I want to talk about how the fact that God uses young people. God calls young people into service. And I want the young people in this church to be thinking along the lines of church is not just something that my parents do or that my grandparents do or the older folks that I know in the church. That's just the thing that they do and they run. You are to get involved and God calls people into that. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Say, well, children are just there to, to attend and they don't have anything to do. Maybe we should give young people something to do. One of the best things you can do to bring children along a path is to give them some tasks, right? 
Give them some responsibilities, some things that they can do, and put them in charge of it and reward them if they do them well and give them additional tasks if they do that and kind of learn to, uh, to take part in that way. But I think this, uh, this is the call of, of Samuel, and I think it's interesting. Chapter 3, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So this is a time when there was a malaise and a coldness of spirit, not a time of spiritual enthusiasm in Israel. Does that sound familiar? That's kind of where we are in America, I think. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou calledest to me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Now that's one of the funny little stories in the Bible. I can picture this in my head, this situation going on. Eli's, you know, he's older like me. He's probably dealing with his back and, and wanting to just get some rest. And here's Samuel running in, bugging him. He's trying to get back to sleep. Verse 6, And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered again, I called not, my son. Lie down again. God is calling Samuel here. Now, Samuel's called in a very particular way for a very particular ministry, but I want to at least extract this precept out of this. God works in the lives of children. The Christian faith is not just something where well, you can really only have a relationship with God when you've, well, you've got to understand the tulip doctrine. You've got to understand election and predestination. You need to understand uh, our position on mechanical instruments and music. And uh, you better uphold some foot washing and... Okay, that stuff's all part of the church, and we're going to preach it and teach it. But you don't have to know all of that for God to be working in your life and for God to be calling you into His service, okay? I'll say this. I believe it's one of the biggest issues in Christendom today that many churches want to separate children and put them over here and do one thing with them and they don't need to be in church. I, I just totally disagree with that. And I think the Bible disagrees with that. You're supposed to minister to the entire flock of God and the church is an assembly and we should all come here together and assemble. You say, well, my child is young and it's difficult for them to, to uh, you know, not squirm and, you know, all these sorts of, well, 52 lessons a year in discipline. Understanding that there are places in this world that are set apart. You want to learn some sanctification. You learn that when you come in and the church service is going on, this is not playtime. This is something different. We sit and we pay attention. It's a tremendously valuable lesson. Yes. Tremendously valuable. How many things are you doing 52 times a year? You know, 52 times a year is a lot of lessons. So let's keep going. Verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. This is speaking of Samuel's understanding of spiritual things. I don't think this is saying Samuel was unregenerate. That's not what I think it's saying here. I think it is saying he didn't understand much about this whole religious world that he's kind of living in with Eli there. 
And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. That took Eli, who's a priest. Maybe he should be more in tune. You kind of think, well, he's a priest. He ought to be more in tune with the idea that God works in the lives of people. Maybe on the first time that Samuel came in, he, he should have said, well, it must be the Lord calling you because I don't think you're lying to me and somebody called you and it wasn't me. Maybe Eli should have been a little quicker on the uptake there, but he eventually comes around and he affirms the thing that I just affirmed before you. God works with children. He works with them. Therefore, Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Children can have a conversation with God. Now, I'm not going to suggest that you're going to hear an audible voice from God as Samuel did here. This is a somewhat of a unique circumstance, but God is not far from any of us. A child that doesn't understand much about biblical doctrine and those sorts of things, who is fearful in their bed at night, can call out to God in prayer, and God is with them and can comfort them. God works in the lives of His children. Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever with the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. This is a heavy message. Now, it says a child. The first verse in this chapter refers to him as a child. And the Hebrew term there spans an age range that goes from very young childhood up to like an adolescent, pre-adolescent. This is a pretty heavy message that God is putting before Samuel here. He's telling him that this priest that he's under is going to be punished and the thing I want to extract out of this is that there are spiritual matters that children can lay hold of at a younger age than we think they can. I'll just leave it at that. I want you to consider that possibility. The Lord certainly believes that's the case. And I think it's, it's all too often that we're prone to wanting to shelter our children from everything. Sheltering kids from everything. And there are things they should be sheltered from, for sure. But... This at least indicates to us that there are matters that are more severe and more serious that uh, they may be able to handle. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Well, can you imagine? Here's this prepubescent boy who's had a conversation with God about what's going to take place here. And it's not good for Eli. It doesn't sound good at all. He's thinking, how am I going to tell this to him? Sure, he was very fond of Eli. It's not a message he'd want to tell. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, Hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me 
of all the things that he said unto thee. Well, Eli knows there's something spiritual going on here. The Lord has spoken to this child and he wants to know what the Lord said. And I think his response in this is amazing. It's amazing. Verse 18, and Samuel told him every whit and hid nothing from him. That's a pretty uncomfortable conversation, is it not? Here's a youth. If you go back and you look at what Eli's sons were doing, it's a nasty little story in the Bible. And here's this child that's telling their father, here's this thing that transpired. This is a tough conversation. And Samuel told him every whit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Now Eli was not perfect. He had some issues apparently as a father. And there was some trouble there. And he gets this message. And he says, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. You know what that is? That is, Thy will be done. That is Eli in a fit, if you will, or an expression of spiritual maturity saying, this may not go well, I hear what you're saying here, but this is what the Lord said is going to happen. And if that's what He wants, His will be done. Thy will be done, not my will be done. That's a very, very uh, difficult thing to do. Well... As we close here, let's look at one other example. We turn over a few pages into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is the choosing of David. David was a, was a boy, and he's going to be chosen. And this also is an indication of how we think about the matter. We have our designs on who God's going to work with. If you think about this matter of who's God going to work with, Everybody kind of has a thought of, well, this person over here, they seem pretty spiritual. And it seems like it wouldn't take much to get them to join the kingdom of God. Well, this person over here is not very spiritual. might be really hard to get them to join the kingdom of God. Everybody's got designs on those sorts of things. And you see these designs being played out in this text. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Okay, Here's a, he's got a bunch of sons, and one of them's going to be the king. Now we're going to line them up, and pretty much everybody's idea about who's going to be chosen, based on their presupposition about who God should choose, is going to be completely wrong. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. This is God's going to make a choice here, and it's going to be a choice that is contrary to what men think about who should be the next king. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Well, here, this guy. He brought Eliab. Okay. That's got to be the guy, right? 
And remember, they're coming off of Saul, who was a head taller than everybody else, a strapping young man, you know, really looked the part of a king. He had it to a T. So they probably have some expectations about what Israel's king should look like. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on his height of his stature, because I have refused him. God's got a different plan here. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's why we may underestimate the ability of children to serve and be active participants in the kingdom of God. Because we're looking on the outward appearance. We said, that's just a child. That's a young boy. That's a young girl. They're young people. They, they need to grow up before they can ever do anything. Are we looking on the heart? Are we looking on the outward appearance? The preacher said, serve the Lord in your youth. So I'm going to submit to you that that line of thinking is us looking on the outward appearance and not upon the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Well, now the second guy they thought, that's not the one either. You think Jesse's serving him up in the order of you know, he's probably stack ranked him in his mind. It's going to be Eliab. I'll go ahead and put him first. Don't put the others through the, the awful rejection they're going to have to go through. Because I know they're going to pick him. And so they're probably serving him up in order that they thought they would be accepted. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come thither. David wasn't even there. I mean, the idea that God was going to call this child, this youth, into his service was absolutely preposterous to Jesse and the rest of his family. He's just sending him out there with the sheep. He can keep the sheep while one of my big sons is getting named the next king of Israel. We'll tell him about it later when he grows up a little bit, maybe. <laughs> He's too young to even understand any of this. Well, that's probably true, but that doesn't mean God's not working in his life. Right? And God doesn't have something for him to do. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and a goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God was working in the life of the young boy David. God had a use for him. Jesse had a use for him. It was tending the sheep, keeping him far away from the more adult political ongoings of the nation of Israel. He's far too young for that. He's not the one that God's going to want to use. Look at all these strapping young bucks I have. Surely one of these is going to be the next king of Israel. Do we have that attitude about serving God in our youth? Well, if we do, we should root it out. We should do everything we can 
to encourage the youth in this church to serve in the kingdom of God. Believing full well that God works in their lives and that it will be an instrument of sanctification in their lives as they go forward. It's the best investment they can make. It's early. They got the most energy. Let them put something into it. And for those of you who say, well, the days of my youth are long since gone. I'll say it again. You're as young as you're ever going to be. You may have squandered every bit of youth you had, but you're as young as you're ever going to be right now. I declare you young at this moment. Now, you know, if I was a marketer, if I was in marketing and I said, you know, you're only as old as you feel, you know. I've had conversations with some of you where you say, well, you know, I still feel like I'm 20 years old on the inside, but my body is just failing me. Well, we'll work with that. Let's call that youth, and I'm going to declare you young today because you're as young as you're ever going to be. Serve the Lord in the days of your youth. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.